High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road races, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. This episode of the podcast, we have Coach Rob back, who I am super duper excited to say is going to be coming on the podcast once every month from now on to do a QA and a podcast just like this one or to take a really deep dive into a particular topic. So if you have a question that you would like answered or if, you, if there's a particular topic that you would like to take a really deep dive on and learn a ton of knowledge about, send me a direct message on Insta or or hit me up with an email. I've put my email address in the show notes again. Send that question through and we will endeavor to get it answered. If you send a question through, I promise we will make sure we get it answered. This one, we have answered all the questions we got from the last episode around nutrition because we got quite a few around nutrition and I know it's a topic that people always ask me questions about. So I thought we'd go through those ones first. Those of you who did ask questions last time that we didn't get to answer in this episode, I promise we will get them answered. We got a, quite a few around training also. So our next episode, which will be in four weeks' time, we will endeavor to cover those training-related questions. So like I say, if there's a topic or a question, hit me up because I love all of this stuff. I love learning about all this stuff and geeking out on it all, but I also want to make this podcast relative to you guys who are listening to it. So if there's something you would like to learn about or something that's going to that's going to help you improve yourself, then then hit me up and I'll make sure we get that included. So as Rob mentions at the end of this podcast, another thing I'm super excited about to announce is that Rob will be coming over to Australia in in July. He will be running a Moto E performance camp at our local track here at the Lincoln Causeway in Albury-Wodonga. So it's on the 18th and the 19th of July. If you if you're in the so if you're in the southern states of Australia and you want to learn firsthand face to face from Coach Rob, then click the link in the show notes. You can find out more and you can secure the secure a place for that camp. So it's super, I, I, I think it's really, really good value for what you're actually getting. You're getting, not just getting the camp, but there's a, a four month or 16 week ongoing program that you actually get to follow, which includes nutrition, includes training and includes support from Coach Rob and myself to um, keep you on track and actually implement everything you learn from that camp to to get the actual to get the results you actually want to get with your racing. So super excited about that. For now we'll get into this episode. Like I said, if you've got a question, shoot it through to me. I'll make sure I'll make sure we get it answered. For now this one's all about nutrition. So prepare to geek out and learn heaps about nutrition with Coach Rob. All right, today we've got Coach Rob back on the podcast. We're going to go through a bit of a Q&A to answer some listeners' questions. Welcome back on, Rob. Hey, thank you so much. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be back with you. Yeah, I'm super excited to have you on board because I guess it's been a bit of a goal of mine with the podcast is to be able to share, I guess, qualified information with, with our listeners because I think it's so many people tell me that when they, when they think about off-bike training, they don't know where to start. And then it can sure. quite often be overwhelming. Like we've got plenty of information with the internet and everything these days, but a lot yep. of it's quite often con- conflicting. So I'm stoked that you're going to be able to come on. We're going to do one of these each month and we can give our listeners the information that they can, I guess, use to improve their writing. So I, I, I consider it a privilege. I appreciate you letting me be on. You know, my big thing is, is I feel like too many people are kept and I've said this on Gypsy Tales as well. I just feel too many people are treated like mushrooms. You know, they're just told to do it, never really being told the why. I don't know about you, but if you can help me understand the backside of why I'm doing it, uh, particularly when I'm talking to young racers, riders, 
and we say to them, you need to stretch or you need to do foam rolling. That does not resonate with anybody. Yeah. But if you can say, hey, that'll improve your body position, it'll increase your speed and endurance, it'll decrease your risk of injury. Well, now you're talking to somebody who likes to ride a motorcycle. So I agree with you. If we can kind of break through the quagmire of misinformation and not just throw an idea out there, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do a little bit of a deep dive because I, it's kind of interesting. I've been accused of, of saying too much that's technical, that I've been accused of not giving enough information. And I try to find where that sweet spot is in the middle because there's a lot of listeners on your show that maybe have done some self-research, maybe have hired quote-unquote experts only to get run down, burn out, injured. And as you and I discuss off the record, our, our vision is to improve people's health then performance, not the other way around. So if people are willing to give us the 45, 50 minutes on every show for us to get to the truth of why something happens, then we've done our job. And that's, that's why I appreciate the opportunity for sure, especially across the big pond. Yeah, it's awesome. I've been really looking forward to it. So this, we've got a few questions from our listeners, I guess, after that last podcast we did. So we've got a few, a few around nutrition, so I thought we'd work our way through them first off. The first one kind of will segue into the second question, I think. But the, okay. the first one is from Bronson, who he mentioned that he's heard that, you, that getting your athletes fat adapted is something that you, you practice in the off-season. And he wondered if that's something that you recommend. And then what is the best nutritional approach I guess, as the season, as you move into the season and that intensity sort of lifts. Can you, yeah, can you, I guess, give us a bit of, I guess, give the listeners a bit of, I guess, knowledge around what fat adaption actually is to begin with? Absolutely. And, and I appreciate the question for Bronson because it tells me he's really listening. Um, the word fat adapt, adaptation is, is a very cool word that he picked up on. I want you to think about and if, if any of the listeners are not familiar with it, I want you to kind of grab a piece of paper and think about breaking up a 12-month period into four seasons. Now, they don't have to be a definitive three months at a time, but take a 12-month block and break this down into four seasons. And I want all the listeners to write this down. We have preseason, we have pre-competitive, we have competitive, and then we have the off-season. So to Bronson's question about fat adaptation, what I want you to focus on is the preseason. So what we do is we teach our athletes to spare the use of stored sugar, known as glycogen, and teach their body to leverage stored body fat as a primary fuel source. Now, we can do a full podcast on nothing but heart rate training. It's a complete science to itself, but it's actually simplistic, mm. but it's been convoluted with a lot of agendas. But for the sake of Bronson's question, think about it this way. If I take, let's just use a very, um, just a January to December calendar, just for a generic example. If I'm going to work on the preseason training of January, February, and March, what we're doing is we're focusing on maximizing physical strength and we're teaching the body to build an aerobic engine. This is where Bronson's question comes in. If you teach the body to perform at a lower heart rate, it will leverage more stored body fat as a primary fuel source. Now, when you get a lot of conversations going, you'll hear this big word about sparing glycogen, sparing glycogen, sparing glycogen. I want all the listeners to draw a straight line on a piece of paper. On the left side of the paper, I want you to write zero. And on the, the right side, so essentially you're looking at your paper from left to right. I want you to put 100% off to the right-hand side. What that represents is what I call the energy matrix. So as you're increasing in intensity, your body changes the percentage of carbs and stored fat, i.e. glycogen and stored fat for fuel. And as the intensity goes up, the percentage of fat goes down. Now, you may say to yourself, why do we not talk about protein? As a generic description, the total amount of energy that you can extrapolate from proteins is about 15%. So we always focus on the other 85, which is a combination of stored sugar, glycogen, and stored body fat. So if the listeners will take the time to look at their season and go, okay, I want to be in race shape, let's just use for even numbers, 
by July. They need to be going through a preseason stage, maximizing strength, maximizing aerobic function. That's where the primary fat adaptation phase comes in. Then as we build strength in an aerobic engine, we slowly drop in speed work. That's what we refer to as pre-competitive. Now to answer Bronson's question, what happens is because we're doing incrementally more speed work, we use a higher percentage of stored sugar and less stored fat because you're adding more speed work. Mm. But here's where, and I, I love this because I get into a heated debate about intermittent fasting. That's the new buzzword right now. Yeah, sure. In the triathlon world, we have used intermittent fasting for probably 30 years. And for those that have maybe heard it and it's been confusing to them, what the intermittent fasting idea is, you go to bed, let's say at nine o'clock at night, you get up the next morning at 6 a.m., you don't put any calories in your mouth and you go do a cardio workout at a low intensity. What that does is it teaches the body to use more stored fat because you've not introduced carbohydrates. That's a cliff note version. Now, before anybody who's on keto and all these other, you know, I don't know what you want to call them, a system, a fad, whatever. Yeah. I don't want to get into the intensity has to be low. I believe with 30 years of experience, when you're in an intermittent fasted stage, you need to keep the intensity low. If I may, in a very brief ex explanation, if I want to get a high quality speed workout in, I want to top off the muscle storages of sugar so I get more out of my workout. Uh, again, I could get into an online debate that'll last a month, and I'm good to do that with anybody who wants to intellectually discuss it. But in the triathlon world, what we'll do is we'll drop an intermittent fast maybe once, maybe twice per six-week training cycle. Let me explain. If I've got an athlete and they're training for Ironman, they would go to bed on Friday night, 9 o'clock. They would get up and they would do a four-hour bike ride. Our goal is to try to get 60 to 80 miles. The idea here is, is that they would not use any sugar for that first three hours of the bike ride, but the intensity has to stay low. Why? Because of what I just explained. It's that energy matrix that people want to mess up. If I bring my intensity up, my ratio of stored sugar to stored fat changes and I end up leveraging more stored sugar. And you go, well, isn't that a good thing? No. You've only got about 60 to 80 minutes of stored sugar in the body to begin with. So when I go out and I'm having my athlete do an intermittent fasted ride, what we're doing is we're keeping the heart rate low because the lower the heart rate, the higher the percentage of stored body fat is utilized. This is a trick that the Tour de France has used for years. You'll see these riders. Now I'm going to kind of screw the calendar up a little bit, but you'll see them during months of November, December, January, they'll go do a 200 K ride, but they may not get above heart rate zone two for the entire ride. They don't care that they're averaging 20 K. Hmm. What they care about is they spent six hours in the saddle at a low heart rate, leveraging stored body fat. Yeah but that's not sexy. That's not fun. That doesn't sell magazines. That doesn't sell articles, but that's the basis of physiology. If you understand the integer matrix, excuse me, the energy matrix, the higher the intensity, the higher percentage of stored sugar, glycogen, the less fat you use. So this is why in our general fitness department, we see, and I don't mean to be sexist here, what we see are frustrated women that come in and they say to themselves, I'm going to the gym, I'm training very hard five days a week, but I'm gaining weight. Well, wait a second, I thought you told me you wanted to lose body fat. Yes, I do. Well, then why are you going to the gym and your intensity is wide open and you're burning a higher percentage of sugar? If you want to constantly deplete your liver, which feeds your brain, and you want to deplete the muscles through activity, then go guts to the wall. But yeah. if you came to my facility and said, I want to drop body fat, Pull the intensity down. Now, I know on paper, they'll tell you that if you overload the system, the body excretes more testosterone and HGH, and that makes you leaner. Totally agree with one catch. If you get enough sleep and enough food to give your body that platform to do it, it works perfect. Yeah. But I have never had anybody, nobody, present themselves to me that gets enough sleep and enough food to absorb that level of training without tipping into overtraining. 
Now, before anybody sends me a nasty email, my experience has been only my experience. Most of the people that you see that are hyper, hyper, hyper lean and say because it's hit high intensity interval training, they're lying to your face. They're taking HGH and they're shooting up on testosterone. Yeah. That's been my personal experience. Yeah. Okay. And just to clarify that, so somebody doesn't take it out of context, I've picked up probably two dozen, three dozen athletes in the last decade who were under a high, in, high intensity interval training program, looked great in a bathing suit, only to present themselves to me with all kinds of blood disorders because they came truthful and said, I've been shooting up HGH and testosterone. And let me back up for the listener. HGH makes you excessively lean. Testosterone increases your red blood cell count. So that gives you more oxygen in your blood. You can, hire, you can handle a heavier load. So you've got one synthetic hormone making you excessively lean and another one that's giving you the red blood cells. But the fringe benefit to HGH is also helps you recover quicker. So you can handle these high intensity intervals day after day after day after day after day. Please listen to me. I'm not saying everybody's doing it, but I'm telling you, evidence has proved to me in our centers that the people that are coming in that tried to do that only were able to do it because they were jacked up on something. Yeah. And I, it's very important that your listeners get that because if you're telling me you want to drop body fat to increase strength to weight ratios on a motorcycle, to increase your sprint speed, to increase your late race endurance, spend more time training in the aerobic zone during the appropriate seasons to Bronson's question, teach yourself to burn more fat as a fuel source. I want all your listeners to write this down. The most the body can digest orally during competition is around 300, 350 calories per hour. If you use, you know, I'm a big fan of the Garmin's. I use the dashboards yeah. quite a bit. If you'll go in, and, and I'm encouraging anybody who's got a Polar or a Garmin that uses their dashboards, what I want you to do is go to one of your activities and look at the caloric expenditure that it's calculating. It's not exact. It's taking your body weight, your, your gender, your age. It's taking all of that, but it's creating a mathematical estimation. Yeah. I just was talking with an athlete today who's only 14 years old. He burnt 5,600 calories in one riding session over the weekend. Yeah. Now, the reason why that's important is this. When you realize that your body can only take in from a sports drink, an energy gel, or a block, or maybe some solid, easily digestible food, if you're burning, let's say for, for our conversation today, a thousand calories per hour, but you could only take in 300, where do you think that 700 calorie gap needs to come from? Stored body fat. Absolutely. That's it. That's a fringe benefit to teaching your body to burn more of an aerobic capacity instead of an anaerobic capacity. You become a fat burning machine. Now, remember what we said at the beginning during the preseason stage, you have two purposes build strength, you do that through gym, build aerobic function, low intensity training. Well, you and I both know, but I want to make sure the listener does the more lean muscle mass you have the more efficient you are at burning body fat through the mitochondria found in the muscle spindle cells. Well, low intensity training with weight training is the perfect platform to becoming a fat burning furnace. So then when it does come time that you're going to light it up, your body has that ability to leverage more stored fat. So you don't start to cannibalize your muscle for fuel. Mm -hmm. I know it's a little bit more complex than I'm making it, but I want to keep it very simple the number one thing that I want everybody to understand in my experience, we need to spend more time aerobically training. Tonight, we've talked a little bit about utilizing more fat. I want you to take a little bit deeper. Where are you going to make up a 700 calorie gap? And I'm using just loose numbers. A thousand calorie expenditure per hour is not unheard of, especially in the off-road world. Absolutely. You know, you're pushing a 100, 110 kilo motorcycle for two, three, four hours. That's, that takes a lot of, lot of energy. So yeah. you need to be physically strong and you need to be an aerobic machine. But that was a great question for Bronson. I hope he understands that fat adaptation. You can do it throughout the year. But let me just say one final thing to that question. 
you notice I said I only have my athletes do one workout every six weeks that way. It's very taxing and demanding on the body when you do it correctly. So that's why we don't do it very often because once I come out of preseason, we're dropping enough speed work in. There's not enough workout blocks in the week that I can sufficiently drop that in because you got to think about that rule of 48. Think about that, how taxing that's going to be on the human body afterwards. Yeah. If an athlete does a intermittent fasted type of a workout, think about that as being a difficult workout that takes two days to recover from. I know there's a lot of people that say it doesn't, but I've seen contrary to that, especially if you do it too often. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's another one of those traps people fall into of thinking a little bit's good, so more must be better. Not always the, the, the case. No, that's exactly it. And it's, it's my big pet peeve about taking one minute detail, embellishing it, taking it out of context, and starting to actually hurt people. I, I think I said this in the last show we were on together. I'm going to show my age again, but I've been doing this for 35 plus years now. And if we go backwards from the current with CrossFit and this high interval intensity training, we've seen the fallout of that already. And if you go behind that, I've seen Insanity and P90X. And if you go in front of that, I've seen Super Slow. And I've seen before that, I've seen Super Setting. And it doesn't matter what the format is. I get it. You're trying to sell memberships to gyms. I get it. I get it. I get it. But let's not lose sight of the fact that if you're going to do that at the detriment of somebody's health, joints, ligaments, tendons, you're going to overrun the adrenal system. And you're going to chalk that up to trying to make somebody healthy by just selling membership. I Mm. think you need to really look in the mirror and ask yourself why you're doing that. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's difficult. It's not sexy, but it is sustainable. That's always my buzzword. Yeah. So if we're talking about that fat adaption, obviously like that low intensity stuff is going to, I guess, encourage our body to burn fat is the way we make up our, I guess the balance of our macros. Like if we, in that instance, when we are going to be doing more of those low intensity workouts, can we perhaps back the carbohydrate intake off and increase the fats? Will that, will that, if that also change what our body utilizes for fuel a little bit? You, you could certainly do that. Um, I think it's a very, in your position, it's a very sophisticated comment because you understand it. For most people, just getting them to, to be consistent with their training, to ask them to scale it back or to bump it up, takes them out of their comfort zone. Yeah. The, the, the clinical answer to your question is absolutely. But I look at it this way. If you go back to our last podcast together, we talked about how shopping is very, very simplistic. You mm-hmm. walk into the store, you shop the perimeter, and you go out. If every time you sit down to a meal, you have a good ratio of fruits, vegetables, and lean protein, I don't want this to sound sarcastic at all, but it kind of takes care of, am I getting enough carbs, protein, and fat? If you pay attention to the signs of adrenal fatigue, you're craving simple sugars, you have low sex drive, you have night sweats, you're tired and you can't sleep, well then just eat more fat until those situations subside. And I I don't want that to come and catch people off guard. If I've got night sweats, that's literally the, the adrenal system in the corner sending off a red flare going, we need more high quality fat. Yeah. If you find that you're not able to finish your workout strong, you need to add more carbs. If you find that your your residual soreness is beyond the norm for more than two days or you're getting sick more often, you need to increase your protein intake. Now, what I always say is, and I think you know me well enough, I'm not a calorie guy. I don't count calories. I don't count grams. I always say is build the framework of what you eat. I'll give you an example. For me, Every morning, I have four eggs with some form of salsa. That salsa is made out of, obviously, tomatoes and cucumbers and spices and things like that. With that, I always have a fruit bowl that's made with full-fat Greek yogurt. Now, if I eat that and I get hungry within a two-hour window, I'll simply add one more egg, a little bit more fruit, and a little bit more Greek yogurt. I'm not measuring it. Mm. I want to encourage your listeners, don't make it a full-time job. Yeah. Just simply take what you've done and add to it. If I can eat that and I stay full for that two-hour block that we discussed extensively in the last podcast, 
if I stay to where I don't become hungry, then I know that my quantity was correct. Remember, I'm eating real food. I'm eating fruit. Um, excuse me. I'm eating a bowl of fresh fruit with Greek yogurt. I'm having four eggs. I've got a fruit. I've got my eggs, and I've got my salsa. If you want to call that a vegetable, that's fine. But the idea is, I know the quality of my food is good. The quantity, because you were saying about scaling back one or scaling back another. If I don't show any signs of adrenal fatigue, if I don't have signs of waning energy during my workouts. If I don't find myself being sore for a long period of time, I know I'm on the right money. Then what I do is I say, okay, I eat my breakfast every morning at six o'clock. I'm very regimented. I'm in my, I am in the kitchen at six o'clock every morning. I'm in my office every morning at seven o'clock. Yep. Well, if I get hungry before eight o'clock, I make a mental note. I look at my training logs. What did I do yesterday? That's caused me to suck the calories up quicker. I bump it up. Because I like the word that you said when you're looking at macros. I like to look at macros on nutrition, and I like to look at macros on training. Yeah. So I'll look at yesterday and say, okay, what was my total duration and what percentage was aerobic and anaerobic? And then I make a mental note in my journal, and I say, okay, the next time I do, like, for example, one of my favorite brick workouts is I'll do a five-kilometer, excuse me, for you guys, it would be um, – 10K, uh, it's about a 12K bike block followed by a 2K run block. And I'll do that six times through with no rest on the trainer, on the street, back on the trainer, back. But my point is, is I know what my intensity is going to be for both the bike and the run. Then I look at my food. How sore was I? Was I able to perform consistently? Then what I do is I say, okay, I did not get hungry in that two hour block from six in the morning until eight o'clock, I'm good. But then before I become hungry, I'm back in the kitchen eating at eight o'clock, having another snack. Maybe it's some raw nuts. Maybe it's a handful of raw coconut. Maybe it's some almond butter and some peanut, or excuse me, some um, an apple and some almond butter. If I eat one and I get hungry before that two hour block is up, I know next time I need to do two apples or maybe two scoops of almond butter. And just keep building it. And I don't want that to be complicated. I want it to be more simplistic. I don't think you need to worry too much about this, little less of this or a little more of that if you're paying attention to your body's response. But the key is, again, I go back to these watches. If you're wearing the watch, it's keeping your activity log for you. And you can look at it as a glance. You know, yeah. that's the key is you know what load you put your body in. You know what you did to fuel it, and then you look at the outcome. I used that analogy of a funnel last time we were on the phone. And the idea here is the outcome at the bottom of the funnel is your desirable outcome. If you're really, really sore and you're not finishing workout strong, then you need to change the volume of what's going on the top. Energy is going to come from your complex carbs. Your recovery is going to come from your protein. Your adrenal fatigue is going to come from your fats. Keep it simple. So yeah. I think you can adjust it as you're looking at your training volume and intensity, but I don't think you need to get overzealous with, do I need to increase that by 12 grams or 13 grams? Yeah. Just add one unit or two units of something. It's a lot easier to measure. Yeah, I like that. That's some really solid advice there. I think it's, that's a really good point you make too, is just being, I guess, aware each day and sort of assessing and having a little journal, a training journal, like, and not falling into that trap of just the same, doing the same thing and getting the same result. If you do feel, That's like you it. said, if you, if you do feel a little fatigued or a little flat in the workout, then there's, a, there's always a reason. So it's going back and joining those dots and, and figuring out why. Yeah, and it goes back to what we said at the beginning of today's podcast is we, you and I, we have a responsibility to take people out from underneath the mushroom and get them to see the sunlight and get them to understand the why behind it so they can be empowered with information to better themselves. I mean, you can see behind me, I mean, I've got tons of books. We all have got books. If you think I'm going to take your body weight, convert it to kilograms, multiply it by grams, divide it by this. I know I don't do it. I don't expect my clients to do it. And we're a full-time analytics company. So if you think about it, you and I can do it in our sleep because that's what we do for a living. Yeah. What we're saying is for the listener, after you've taken the time to invest in a good watch, a Polar, a Garmin, learn to use your dashboard and let the dashboard help you be able to, 
and again, I hope the listener doesn't think we're being sarcastic. As I sit here today, all I can do is look back at yesterday and say, how did I perform? How did I feel? What did I do to put into that workout from a food, a hydration, and a sleep standpoint? Well, I get my sleep data off my log. If I, get, if I slept nine hours last night, but I only got one hour of deep sleep, the foundation is not in place for me to go do speed work today. Mm, absolutely. And I hope the listeners will really hang on to that because as a physiologist, I write protocols as you do. We write protocols based on some assumptions, assuming you're going to get enough calories, you're going to eat the right food, you're going to get enough sleep. Well, listen, if you didn't, maybe you got called into work, maybe your newborn baby was up all night, maybe your middle-aged child came home late, maybe you got a big project that you're working on. That's called life. We don't live in a vacuum. Yeah. But be confident in yourself that if those life situations throw you a curveball, it's okay to pull back. It's okay to adjust. It's not a sign of you being weak or taking the low road or anything else. But here's what I want people to take away from that ideology. If you're consistent with your training, 90% of the time, when you have those impromptu interruptions, you're not going to lose any fitness. I always say, I'd rather you come home from work and walk for 15 minutes and do something to stress the tendons and the ligaments and the muscles than go home and say, I'm too tired. I'm just going to sit on the couch and do nothing. Go for a 15-minute walk. Mm. Because if you do that, let's say you walk 20 minutes, well, that's an hour hour and 40 minutes by Monday through Friday, your body loves movement. Absolutely. But when you do have an interruption, your little one gets up in the middle of the night or you get called into work and it really sets you off because you're like, doggone it, my training was going so good. Now there's an interruption. That's okay. That's the real world. That's the world we live in. But just control the things you can control. What are the big three? What you drink, what you eat, and how much you sleep. If your sleep gets interrupted, try to do your best to get it back. Yeah. That's the key, especially when it's, I, you know, I'm very partial to children because they don't really understand our frustration. They're only crying because they're hungry or they're sick or something's wrong. So I always want to be empathetic to them for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Like you say, and that's, that is life. Like everyone's, everyone's got their stuff to deal with. So like yep. you say, it's, it's more, it's that consistent. That's what I tell my client, even on a nutritional, like if you think there's 21 main meals in a week, like if you nail 18 of them, you're going to be in a pretty good place. <laughs> absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Like, but people make that mistake, like you said, of either skipping a workout or stuffing up a meal and they throw it all out the window and, and yep. think they've lost, they've gone backwards. Well, we've got to break that ideology that we have to punish, our, punish ourselves with exercise because of bad food choices. We need to get ahead of the horse and say, why do we make the bad food choice? Usually we make a bad food choice because we let ourselves become hungry. Yeah. I mean, if you look at any pantry, you know, a bag of chips, a bag of whatever, they're convenient. That's why they're called convenience foods. Well, it's a lot easier to go into the pantry and open up a bag of goldfish than it is to go to the stove and make three eggs and open up and carve out two avocados. But if you're that hungry, particularly to the young listeners or for the listeners who have young kids, if you can stay ahead of that and keep good, high-quality fruits and vegetables in them, you won't have to reprimand them for jumping into the pantry and eating all the chips. you got to remember, when your blood sugar is low, you become irrational. Yeah. I kind of tease. We refer to that as becoming hangry. You're so hungry, you're now angry, and then you're more prone to grabbing the impromptu, which is always, always processed carbohydrates. Always. Think about anything that comes out of a bag, a bar, or a box. It's a processed carbohydrate. Yeah. And anything is a complex, excuse me, is a processed starch or carbohydrate if it comes out of a bag, a box, or a bar. So try to avoid them, that's all. Yeah, now, yeah. I, I could walk you into my kitchen right now, I have goldfish. I have potato chips. You know, like I said, I don't live in a glass house and I don't want to give the impression to anybody that's listening that that's what we do. No, that's not what we do. That's nothing. That's not who we are. You know, what I want you to keep in mind is what we're trying to get people to understand is how to be flexible, plan ahead, 
understand what's happening to them and then adjust accordingly. The biggest one I keep going to is, you know, if you've got signs of night sweats, you've got signs of being tired and you can't sleep. If you're craving simple sugars, if you have a low sex drive, those are the adrenals saying, feed me high quality fats. So if you understand the outward sign that you're getting and you know what to put in front of it to fix it, it keeps you from eating bad foods. Then when you feed the adrenals, all of a sudden you sleep better. You sleep better, you release HGH and testosterone, you wake up leaner, more energy, more energy to go exercise. Then the dominoes are going the right way. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so we'll better get through a few more of these questions. We got on a bit of a rabbit hole with that one. <laughs> no, it's good. I just hope that people will understand that don't just take what somebody says at the surface. Do a little bit of a deep dive and ask yourself, why am I here? So I hope that they see that bunny hole, that bunny trail being really, you know, don't be afraid to ask yourself the hard question, why? Absolutely. And if they can't get the answer, reach out to you. I mean, you're yeah. a great resource. You're there. You know, the listeners need to, to hit up, hit you up. You're there to help. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So this one, you kind of answered it in that, that, that answer there, but this is from Damien and he just wanted to know your thoughts around carbohydrate and their importance around that, I guess, high intensity exercise when we are racing, doing, doing speed work intervals, etc. Absolutely. And, and Damien, I appreciate the question. If you go back to that energy matrix, as we bring the intensity up, we're using a higher percentage of stored carbohydrates known as glycogen. But as we said earlier, you've only got about 60 to 80 minutes of stored energy in your, either your liver and or your muscles collectively. So as you bring that intensity up, particularly on race weekends, you've got to get the carbohydrate intake up. Now, add to your notes this idea. Remember last time I had you draw an arrow up and I had you draw an arrow down? and it was relevant to the volume and the intensity and the inverse relationship, I want all the listeners to do the same thing again. Draw an arrow up, and right next to it, draw an arrow down. And what I mean by that is as you bring the intensity up, this is such a vital, important illustration. As you bring the intensity up, you have to bring the simplicity of the food down. You yeah. can't be going at 90% of maximum and try to eat something very complex like a sandwich. Chicken and spinach. Yes. This is, why, <laughs> this is why energy gels and energy blocks have become so popular in the endurance world of triathlon and marathon because what it is, it's a, it's a concentrated carbohydrate, 110, 120 calories that you literally squeeze, chase it with water, and your body can convert it to energy quickly. Why? Because it's very, very simplistic in form. Now, for the listeners, because you have a very diversified listener base, if you're doing a sprint race, like an, uh, a motocross race that's eight, nine minutes long, you need to be on very simple, easily to digest food all day long. Yeah. And that's a little bit hard, especially if you're running more than one class, because you know you got to keep your energy levels topped off, but yet the intensity is so high it's got to be simple food, banana with almond butter, uh, peanut butter and jelly sandwich, uh, peanut butter and honey, something that's very simple to digest. If you're doing an off-road race, hopefully you're training yourself to not be going anaerobic for the majority of the race. This kind of brings our conversation back to the first question. You've yeah. got to teach yourself how to stay aerobic. You do that by being strong and having a huge aerobic base. Yeah. You can still fly and stay aerobic especially at an off-road race. Yeah. But because we're keeping the heart rate lower, look at, your, look at what I just asked you to write down. If you're bringing the intensity down, you can bring the complexity of the food up. So for example, if you're predominantly in an aerobic mode, you can eat something a little bit more complex, i.e. A, a, a peanut butter and honey or an almond butter and honey. It, yeah, it might be on bread, but your body can assimilate it because the heart rate is kept low. If the heart rate goes up too high, what happens is your hierarchy of needs kicks in. Mm. I want you to think about this. Digestion involves water and it involves blood. So when you throw food into your stomach, first thing it does is it says, I got to get the water down there to start the digestive process. I've got to divert blood down there to fuel the organs to break down food. 
Well, now you've put the body into a, a power struggle because it says, I need water for sweating and I need oxygen going to my blood through, excuse me, I need oxygen going to the muscles through the blood. So now it has to make an executive decision. Do we need to try to regulate core body temperature or do we need to digest? It's always gonna go to avoid heat stroke. Always, always, always gonna go to avoid heat stroke. That's why we end up with backed up GI distress. Because your intensity is too high, the complexity of food is too high, it hits the stomach and the stomach is like, nope, the brain says, we're gonna fight getting overheated so it lets digestion fall apart. What happens? The food starts to ferment because it's hot. Your intensity is high. The food ferments. You start getting gas. You start getting all kinds of bubbles in your belly. You get diarrhea. You may end up vomiting. All because of this inverse relationship between the intensity of food, excuse me, the intensity of racing and or training and the complexity of the food that you're trying to digest. Now, for those that are listeners that may follow the triathlon world, when we have an athlete on the bike course, I, I apologize, I don't know the kilometer conversion off the top of my head, but we bike 112 miles and then we run a marathon. Well, the halfway point of the bike ride is what we refer to as Hav V. It's a 180K in, okay. in Ks, yeah, which is a lot. Right, perfect. <laughs> perfect, that's great. So at 90K on the bike, up to that point, we're eating progressively more and more complex foods. But when we turn around for that last 90, we take the intensity up. This is what you and I refer to as a negative split. The second half of the bike is faster than the first. We know that we're going to have a good tailwind. There's a little bit of downhill. At that point, the race is on like Donkey Kong. We bring the intensity up. And the simplicity of food, it is nothing but gels, energy drinks, and blocks for the rest of the day. Yeah. All the way to the finish line. So your racing is the same way. If you're racing a three-hour enduro hair scramble off-road race, you've got to learn how to train yourself to race at a lower intensity so that your portfolio of food becomes bigger. As the intensity goes up, it's strictly simple sugars. Now, one of the things that people get a little bit concerned about, and I may, be, I may ruffle some feathers when I say this, when you're bringing that intensity level closer and closer to 100%, your body does not care, and I will argue this all day long, your body does not care where the source of that sugar comes from. It just wants simple sugar. Yeah. So that's why you notice the energy gels and the energy blocks. They're not made from the cleanest of foods. They're made from foods that are easily digestible and assimilated by the body to convert it from a gel or a block or a chew into energy. Now, this just came up today, and, and I'm, glad you, I'm glad Damian brought this up. I want your listeners to understand it is significantly easier for your body to convert stored sugar, glycogen. It is a lot easier to convert that to energy than it is to put something in your mouth, digest mm -hmm. it, assimilate it, process it, and convert it to energy. Yeah. That, this is why your pre-race meal is so important so that you – that you literally preload the body with water, electrolytes, and the necessary carbohydrates. So that way, when the gun goes off, you can run that for 60 to 80 minutes before you have to start relying on outside because it is more demanding on the body to do that conversion. Another yeah, reason why so, Yeah. So is that something you recommend to not take in any outside fuel until that, until after the start of the race? Absolutely. Yeah. If you've got somebody, and obviously they need someone like yourself as a good coach to help them see this in training, don't just go out and blind eye it and hurt yourself. But, and, and I don't want to overwhelm the listener, but this is what we do as performance specialists. I need to know by testing you consistently, what is your true max heart rate on the motorcycle? Yeah. I then look at the characteristics of the race and I say, okay, here's our race strategy. We have a three hour race. It's going to be very dusty at the beginning. So we're going to kind of sprint early to get it a good line so we're not lost in the dust and we don't give up unnecessary time. Well, we trained at the specificity of that race. If I've got a race course where we have no dust issues, there's a lot of elevation changes, there's a lot of physical demands, 
I want my rider, I'm just using a hypothetical strategy, I want him or her to be the fastest of everybody the last hour of the race. So coming back to your, your question that you just posed right there, if I'm sprinting early, I'm going to have to take calories a little bit earlier because I'm draining the gas tank quicker. Yeah. If I'm keeping the intensity low for that first hour to hour and a half, I don't have to take calories because I'm leveraging more stored fat and less stored sugar. Now, people listening may go, oh, my goodness, that's so overwhelming. That's what we do for a living. Yeah. Heart rate data needs to be converted to the burn rate. If nobody, if you, if you can hang your hat on that idea, what we do with all of our clients is we determine what their burn rate is of carbohydrates, fat, and water based on the intensity, temperature, and humidity, and we build a nutrition strategy around that, both before, during, and after the race especially if you go back to motocross, especially if you have multiple races in one day, then you have multiple races in one day over more than one day. Mm. The strategy, the food strategy has to change and adapt to that for the reasons that we've just discussed over the last 20 minutes. If it's high intensity, the food has to be simplistic. One of the things that people don't understand is when the body is submitted to a lot of intensity, high temperature and high humidity, it'll actually suppress appetite. We have some tricks that we use to reactivate the digestive enzymes in the stomach. You see it in the Tour de France all the time. But the idea here is, is understanding what's going on because I'll have athletes that will present themselves and they'll say, Rob, I simply can't eat on race day. I say, why? Well, not nauseous if I eat. Okay. Well, your mechanic knows you need to fill that gas tank up, but he's just not going to do it because it makes him sick to his stomach when he picks up his gas can. Okay. As dumb as that sounds, because we wouldn't look at a mechanical piece of equipment and go, well, it needs fuel and you're not going to give it, but you think it can go the distance. You've got to provide your body that same opportunity. You got to teach yourself how to, and, and what I see happening is people race in hot, humid environments at a high intensity, appetite gets suppressed. They don't know the tricks to turning the digestive enzymes back on. They try to stuff down real food and it just comes right back up or they get diarrhea or they get GI distress. Now they're cramping and bloating and stuff like that. So you know, great question, Damien. Carbohydrates are your best friend as the intensity goes up. And if you take everything, all subjects we've talked about tonight, the idea of learning how to teach yourself to go fast at a lower heart rate by building strength in an aerobic engine, then understanding that inverse relationship between food complexity and intensity You've got all the elements that you need, understanding that you don't want to throw the body into an executive decision about heat stroke or digestion, because it's always going to go to heat stroke and the avoidance yeah. thereof, of course. Yeah. But great question, Damien. Thank you for setting it in. So what what are your thoughts there on, because you kind of did, again, answer it a little bit in that answer, but it, it is another question that I get so often is, what should I eat on race day? Um, what, what are your thoughts around smoothies? in those instances, like obviously the digestion's already done there. Yeah. Like a lot of the digestion is already done. So is that a good option for guys, say, on a motocross day, perhaps when they've only got an hour between motos and they want to get some actual real food in? It's, it's absolutely the best. And it's, it's the best for three reasons. One, as you just articulated, you're going to immediately start absorbing the vitamins, the minerals, and the calories because you don't have to chew it. So like you said, the absorption sublingually is going to incur immediately. The second thing is you're already in a hot, humid condition, so it's cold, so it's going to pull the core body temperature down, so it's a win-win. And then the third component is you can dense up those calories because what you don't want to do is go back to what we said earlier. You're burning 1,000 calories, but you're only digesting two or three. That gap eventually is going to catch up with you. So yes, I think smoothies, that's why I put out my own smoothie recipe book. In fact, yeah. we, just got it, um, we just got it approved and it's up on Kindle right now because we know people like their Kindles. So we put together our own smoothie recipes. I think there's like 35 or 40. We go through the vitamin, we go through, and, it's, and just so everybody knows, it's, it's stuff that you can buy at your grocery store. There's no, there's no special yeah, ingredients, yeah. real yeah, sure. raw food. But I think smoothies are the best way to go for sure. Yeah, I reckon you're right, especially for people that when when you say people don't like to eat in a, of a morning, then they're a, another really good option then too because, and like you say, that you can make a smoothie that's pretty bloody delicious. Like sometimes if you put some berries and stuff in there, like it can 
tastes like ice cream almost sometimes. That's right. Yep. You can, if you get a good recipe that you like, like it's actually pretty enjoyable to thing to get down. Absolutely. And we could do an entire podcast on just that because when you understand that fruits and vegetables and lean protein from a caloric standpoint are very low, what we struggle with is once you get somebody to clean it up, I refer to that as the quality, then what we have a problem is they don't get enough quantity. I call it the Q coefficient. You yeah. got to get the quality cleaned up most of your listeners are probably already doing that. Then where we struggle is, as I said earlier, when I've got a young athlete that's burning 5,000 calories in one day, well, you can only eat so many salads and so many pieces of, of let's say, chicken or beef or fish. Yeah. And you're, you run out of, there's not enough hours in a day. Smoothies are the way to go because you can throw some flaxseed oil, some uh, chia seeds in there, and it brings up that caloric density that we so desperately need. That's like you said, we got to break some of these mindsets that are out there that were fat phobic. Don't be fat phobic. Recognize that you're burning a boatload of calories and you get nine grams, nine calories from every gram of fat. That's twice as much as you get from a carb or a protein. So learning to embrace fat, but again, yeah. we're not saying junk fat, high quality, medium chain triglycerides known as MCTs, you know, get the high quality fat. Your body will either use it or it will lose it. Yeah. And in this case, I've got an athlete that's running a deficiency of two to 3,000 calories a day, and we have a five-day race. Yeah. Where's he going to be by Friday? He's going to be under, he's going to be underneath. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that was something. Oh, sorry. You go. No, pardon me. I was just saying just the attention to details. That's all. Absolutely. Yeah. So I was going to ask you that actually, is that something you use like MCTs and Maybe that's probably just a good little thing to probably finish up the nutrition stuff is explain the MCTs, how they come from coke right there, our, next, our body's probably next efficient fuel source after glucose, right? Yes. Um, it's, in my opinion, I think it's as if, and as somebody will, argue, a lot of people will argue with me, I believe that getting your fuel predominantly from stored fat is the most efficient way for what you just said. When you recognize that you get twice as much cal, you get twice as many calories from the conversion of one gram of stored body fat than you do anything related to either protein or glycogen. The key is is you've got to understand that the leverage of stored body fat for fuel is all predicated off of your intensity. So if you're going guts to the wall all the time, you never train your body to burn stored body fat. We do a test that's called the MAF test, maximum aerobic function. After we do time trials, we get max heart rates. We train for five to six weeks. We'll have an athlete go out and they'll do a 40K bike ride and they're not allowed to go out of heart rate zone two. Let's just use even numbers. Let's say it's 140 to 150, no slower, no faster. Yeah. We go to a course that we can duplicate throughout the year, 40K. We take their time at 20 minutes and we take their time at the 40K. I'm sorry, we take their time at the 20K and we take it again at the 40K. We compare block one to block two. We look at average and max heart rate. Every single time in 35 years, when we get athletes to embrace the idea of maximum aerobic function, their time trials always get faster at a lower heart rate, even though we're keeping them in a 10 beat range. Because remember, you can't go any lower than 135 you can't, or 130, or what, what numbers did I give you? 130, 140? Yeah, that's right, yeah. You don't let yourself go below 130, but you don't let yourself go above 140. So what you're doing is you're controlling the intensity. If they're leveraging stored body fat and their strength base and their aerobic functions improving, they'll go the same distance in a shorter period of time at a lower heart rate. That's how you measure the development of aerobic function. That's why we call it an MAF test. Maximum aerobic function assessment. Yeah, but yeah. people don't like that. They want to go wide open until it hurts. Yeah. You've got to realize that that physical limiter is going to be, if you can't get rid of lactic acid quickly enough, your LT tolerance, is your lactate threshold is down, that's going to shut you down. That's not a sign of cardiac output. That's a muscular fatigue issue. Yeah. And that's where people screw up. They're like, well, to go fast, you got to go fast. No, to go fast, you build a big system you know, think about the motorcycle world. You want to go fast, just build a big bore motor. Yeah. You got to put the right carburetor on it. You got to put the right pipe on it. 
putting only one of, you know, you've got three components. You've got a bore, you've got a carburetor and a pipe. Yeah. Well, if I mess one of those three components up, I have a mess, I have a broken down system at some level. But that's what I want people to think about the human body. Your food is your fuel. Your high quality fat is your oil and your capillary beds are your exhaust pipe. When you learn how to build them in one complete unit, not just taking high intensity training or just taking, you know, uh, something about sugar or keto or fat. Stop, 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 stop. You're messing it all up. It's one cohesive system. You know, I always, I was just talking to some, we work with a couple professional road racers and I was saying to them today, if you have a low, a slow radiator leak, you don't wait until you smell all the, the, the rubber burning to say, Hey, the bike's starting to run a little bit hot. You can tell there's a decrease in horsepower. You know, if you get a dent in your pipe, you realize it's not as, it doesn't pop off the bottom the way it should. Well, that's physics. Your body's the same way. But if you let yourself become dehydrated, you're going to overwork the system. If you let yourself become hungry, you overwork the system. If you're fat deprived, you're going to overwork the system. And eventually one of those three is going to break. You know, in the motorcycle world, we see it, it just locks up. Yeah. You know, you've seen bikes lock up, not just because of an oil deficiency or just a radiator deficiency, one and or the combination of the two, and it's a Molotov cocktail. The human body is the same way. So I hope the listeners are starting to see it's very simple. You just have to look at it in a slightly bigger picture and look at it all as one. As we said earlier, please don't take one sliver and consider it the gospel and run with it. It's never the right way to go. Never. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I love that, Rob. There's some awesome information in there. I think that's probably got us through. We're getting up close to an hour now, so we've probably got okay. through all, all the nutrition ones. So we might save the training ones for the next podcast. Perfect. No, I appreciate that. And thank you to everybody who sent them in. I deeply appreciate that. And I appreciate them supporting your podcast. It means a lot to me. Yeah, thank you, Robbie. I love I love going down the rabbit holes like that. There's plenty of, plenty of great information in there. So hopefully the listeners, I know some of my, Listeners said they listened to that last podcast five or six times. Oh, great. Um, Thank you so much. all the information, so. Good. Well, just encourage them to come out when we come in July. I'd love to meet them in person and say thank you for supporting your podcast. It, it means the world to me. Yeah, absolutely. So can we tell the listeners about that one we've got planned for down here in Albury? Yes, absolutely. 18th and 19th of July at this stage. Yes. And I'll have to lean on you. I, I always uh, crucify the names of them, so I'll leave it up to you to be able to describe it so they know what the heck we're talking about. <laughs> well, at this stage, we've got it penciled in for the 18th and 19th of July, a training camp with Coach Rob at the Lincoln Causeway in Albury-Wodonga, which is on the, on the Victoria-New South border, down south. So you can fill us in what that camp's going to entail, Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I hope everybody gets a chance to come out. We are going to keep the camp limited to 15 people for quality purposes. Um, We're doing the same thing up at Mount Kembla the week before. What we like to do is we'll take about a two-hour session where we'll talk about physiology, and then what we do is we apply it to the physics of a moving motorcycle that I refer to as a gyroscope. So, As we work on building your strength and your flexibility off the motorcycle, we always discuss how the body is broken down into a three-dimensional plane. Then when you jump on the motorcycle, what my goal is is that you can see that increased strength and flexibility as you're offsetting the gyroscope of a motorcycle shifting from the left to the right, above and below the seat, in front and behind the pegs. What I can show you is how to increase stability everywhere on the track whether it's coming into braking bumps, through the braking bumps, into the corner, exit speed, how to downside the back of jumps, how to set yourself up for being more stable so that you don't get cross-rutted, how to go through the most difficult and most, let's call it the roughest parts of the track. But the thing that I want people to understand is what makes my riding coach a a technique and approach different is if you have a problem dabbing your leg, I want to go and look at your flexibility and see if it's a strength or a flexibility issue. You know dabbing your leg is going to hurt. You're not doing it intentionally, but let me help you figure out why you're doing it. Uh, Standing up, coming into the braking bumps, a lot of people don't understand why the bike becomes unstable. 
So then all of a sudden the bike's swapping to the left and the right and they keep making the same mistakes and they're just told, drive it in deeper, drive it in deeper, drive it in deeper. And what I have found is that's not the way to fix an unstable bike. If you want to increase your sprint speed, if you want to increase your, your late moto endurance, you've got to learn how to take your strength and your flexibility off the motorcycle, put them up against the moving gyroscope of the physics of a motorcycle going against obviously the obstacles on the track. The, the last couple uh, performance camps we've done, both in Australia, we were at Mount Kembla in January. We have a couple camps. Um, uh, people know we do some stuff at Ricky Carmichael's place. We've seen people improve lap times by up to eight seconds on a two-minute two lap time just That's by deep. creating stability. Well, the key is, is it's, I'm not magical Mark over here. I'm just saying when people start to understand throwing more effort into it isn't going to make you faster – understanding what's happening from a physics standpoint and apply your strength and flexibility. Now you've got a marriage made in heaven. And I see people just railing corners, coming through breaking bumps, being able to jump things they couldn't jump before because they're able to get through the corner before it to be able to send it on the next one. When we look at off-road riders, you know, there's so many little things that we can get them to do when you've got to go race for two, three plus hours Saving energy is the name of the game. So we want to, the camp is open to both. We're just talking about the physics of a motorcycle, turning a motorcycle, jumping it, going through rhythm sections. So I want all the listeners, whether you're hardcore motocross, whether you're off-road, whether you're on a 65 or you're on a 450, we're teaching the specifics of physics against physiology. And we want to encourage everybody to come out. Like I said, we are limited to 15 for safety purposes and quality. Um, if you get a chance, go to completeracingsolutions.com. We'll have a complete itinerary there. There's a lot of takeaways. We're going to be uh, providing you a follow-up strength and conditioning program. We're going to be providing some other additional resources. We mentioned earlier the smoothie. We want those in your hands because for the reasons that you just said, people know what they want to do. They just may not know how to make them. So we just try to, when we leave there, we don't want you to be going, okay, we get it. Now, where do we go? When we leave, they're going to have a blueprint of exactly what to follow. It's all included in the price. It's $500 Australian dollars, and that's all inclusive. That's track fees and the whole nine yards. So we encourage everybody uh, to go to completeracingsolutions.com. Click on the programs tab. You'll see it drop down. It says Australian Motocross Camp. And if you want more specific information, go to contact at coachrob.com, spelt with two Bs, B as in boy. And uh, Christy will get back with you with any questions that you may have. She handles all of our customer service. So, but uh, we do hope all your listeners come out. Um, I don't know. Can we say about the meet and greet? Are you comfortable with that at this point? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know the shop better than I do. So I don't want yeah, to chop yeah. it up. No, I will be running a meet and greet at Buzz's Bikes and Bits in Albury. So that's Thursday. So it'll be the day before the Wednesday afternoon. Yes, sir. Um, so, yeah, we'll be running a meet and greet down there where you can come down. We'll have, might have a little bit of food and drink on there, and you can come down and say good day to Rob and, and get to know him. That would be awesome. I'd love to meet everybody. I like being able to put faces with names um, and, and hopefully get a chance to work with everybody. Um, I do want to encourage the moms and dads that have little guys. We want you to learn as much as the little guys do. You know, to me, when you get three people there, a mom and a dad or a mechanic and a dad, everybody's going to hear it a little bit differently. And then when you go back home and you kind of converse over it, you get more out of it. So I don't want the parents to think, oh, it's only for the riders. It's we're going to go into nutrition and hydration and flexibility and strength training and mental development. I always look at performance program in the, in the realm of let's build your strength and flexibility and then let's wrap it up with where's your head when you pull up to the gate. We're going to talk yeah. about starting techniques wrap the mental component around what do you take into the starting line? Cause I always say race day is not about anything more than execution. If you know how to execute, then you can do everything you can win. Mistakes are going to happen. It's called racing. Nobody goes out and has a flawless lap. I don't care what you're racing. So okay. if we get the athletes to understand the mental side of it, we're going to go through some of our mental blueprint and uh, make sure that when we leave these, these riders are faster they're more resilient to injuries and, uh, you know, have some really fast opening lap speeds and be able to hold it all the way to that finish line. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, Rob. I can't wait. I, I love that. And especially, I guess, those resources that people can take away is it's really, really good value too, I think. And, and like you say, massive, massive 
for the parents too, because especially for juniors riders, like you say, even for for older riders, they're still there with their family a lot of the time. So they're spending time training with them, doing their lap times. So they they stand to learn just as much because then they can keep, I guess, dropping those little bits of information in there. That's it. And we want people to come with paper and take notes. And then, you know, if when I come back to the States, if you have a question, you want clarification and you have your notes, you know, we can kind of decipher through and help clean up the notes because that's the important part. That's why I want to encourage your listeners when we're on the podcast together to grab a piece of paper. That way they can see it written down and it may not make sense. Well, then they can email us and they've got that. And for those that hit you up and said they've listened three or four times, thank you for that. That's, that's, that makes me feel very honored. Good stuff. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. I suppose we'll put it out there again, but for, we're going to do this every month, every come on at the start of each month and do a Q&A. So if any of the listeners have got questions or there's a topic that they would like to take a bit of a deeper dive on, don't hesitate to send us an email and we can make sure we get it included in a future episode. Yeah, please do. And uh, for all those that did send questions in, thank you. Those that sent questions in, we promise we'll get to them all. We certainly will. And we'll probably go down lots of rabbit holes on the way. absolutely just help people understand it (laughs) all right thank you very much rob thanks ben take care bye-bye Thanks for listening to the Ben Greenwood High Performance Podcast. For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, www.100percentstrength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online. We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate if you'd give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.